Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. I'm your host, Kamani Randall, and I want to warn you all that the format of today's episode is a little bit outside of the usual box. So most of the time, you guys hear me interviewing other people, but in this interview, the roles are flipped. After receiving some feedback from a listener, I was forced to reflect. I haven't been completely candid or forthcoming with you guys about my background and experiences, and that serves as proof that I have not fully healed. And it doesn't sit right with me to preach about the importance of mental health and healing if I'm avoiding parts of my own development. With that being said, with the help of Scott Carson, a past guest on the podcast, I decided to address an issue that has been plaguing me for my whole life. And that issue is the shame, embarrassment, and side effects that I've experienced from my home life growing up. I've hidden this part of myself from others for so long out of fear of embarrassment and have never really told the story of my upbringing. After listening to the recording a few times, I wish that I had covered more, but this is at least the start. Our conversation was 100% authentic and off the cuff uh, as it was from a weekly call that I do with Scott to catch up and address my personal challenges. And the main thing that I talked about in this interview is actually the role of my father in my development. He had been involved in a large portion of my life, but as of now, as of the time I'm recording this, uh, it's been about a year and a half to two years since we've had any sort of relationship. At first, it was difficult, but after therapy and multiple months without any real contact, it was something I learned to live with. From the reflection that I had done, as well as the feedback that i gotten from those that support me, it seems as though it was the best outcome for both of us. And I don't bring these things up to shame him, but I do think that painting a picture of my perception of him gives you all major insights into what I'm fixing within myself and why the work I do on this platform is so important to me. And so this episode will give you guys a better idea of who I am and what shaped me. And in future episodes, I plan to touch on more, like on how my experiences with my father affected me psychologically bring light to the positives that came from our past relationship. And I'll also make sure to address the role of my mother in my development, good and bad. And so I know this might be tough to listen to since uh, I'm obviously not the most captivating or or charismatic speaker, especially when I'm discussing uncomfortable topics. But I hope you guys like me enough as a host and you like the content and what I do enough to listen in full and try to understand who I am. Let's get started. What's your morning routine? So normally I wake up and then immediately I go in the, in the restroom and start brushing my teeth and I do my morning affirmations. And after that, I go and I meditate for maybe like 10, 15 minutes. And then from there, it's usually just like me putting on Audible and eating breakfast, like listening to an audiobook or something. And I, I make sure I drink my tea or whatever to start the day. And then from there, it's just whatever else I have to do. And so usually I'll throw in like somewhere in the mix, like me doing like my stretches. And uh, then other than that, yeah, this is really other than like brain games on my phone that I do like uh, every day. But that just really depends on like when I get some some free time. But that's yeah, usually brilliant. the morning routine. So what sport do you do, if any? Uh, so I don't play any sports. Uh, the reason why I do the stretches well, actually, because I used to play a sport, but I got injured. I wouldn't really call it a sport, though. So I did Muay Thai kickboxing, and okay. I, I tore my labrum in practice one day, 
And so for the past, uh, for the past like two weeks, I've finally been out the sling, but for the month before that I was in a sling and I couldn't move it because, you know, it was surgically repaired. And so I was going to physical therapy, um, you know, twice a week. And I was doing the exercises on my, on my own, like at home doing the stretches and all that. And so I still have stuff I need to do now. That's what I was referring to. But, uh, when, when I eventually get healthy, I plan on going back as crazy as that sounds, even though it was something I got hurt in, uh, it was a freak accident really. And, and plus I really like it. So. Fully get it, man. When you're enjoying something, it's sometimes things happen. Yeah. It's important to go back to what you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, but it's going to be a while. I have at least, uh, like three more months before I can even, you know, go on there and start hitting the bag. So, but I'm looking forward to getting to that point to where I'm healthy enough. So we'll just see. As you're able to swim at all? Uh, so the thing is, I'm working on getting my full range of motion. I don't have that yet. And so yes. when I go on Monday, actually, uh, I'll be able to start working the rest of it. I was only able to go maybe about 90%. I mean, no, 90 degrees like yeah. in each direction, but now I'll be able to start doing overhead stuff on Monday. And so once I get full range of motion, then I'll worry <laughs> about building strength. Yeah. It's painful coming back, isn't it? It's <laughs> it was, it was terrible like at the beginning, but um, now that I've become like a, a PT warrior, it's, I guess you could say I kind of gotten used to it. You know, I had a lot of motivation to, to get healthy and thinking about the future too, like how injuries like this, affected people in my family with them not doing well with like their physical therapy or um, just with, I guess the way that type of stuff has progressed from back then until now, like uh, back then, like my dad, he had a pretty big surgery on his knee. He had to get a bunch of stuff replaced in his knee. I think he tore his meniscus and some other things and they didn't have anthroscopic or arthroscopic, whatever you call it, surgery back then. So he had like these huge scars on his knee and like all this scar tissue and so, I mean, he was never the same. And so it's like, you know, I have the advantage of having technology and these small little incision, incisions. So it's like, I might as well do everything I can to make sure that uh, it's back to, to normal because I have the chance of it being normal if I just do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So just listening to you there, like your dad's injury, what happened there? So when we were, um, how old was I when this happened? It was very, very early in life, probably uh, kindergarten or maybe like maybe the year before or something like that. But I was very small and we were driving um, and it was like pouring down raining on the highway. It was like a two lane highway. And so there was no barrier or anything in the middle. And I think if I remember the story correctly, we ran out, we went around a curve and there was another car coming around the curve and we didn't see each other. And so we hit head on Ooh. and, you know, of course, terrible, you know, I think we were going maybe 60, 70 miles an hour. Somehow, you know, we, we survived it and everything and only came out with a, a broken collarbone. But uh, my dad, it pretty much tore apart his knee. And um, I don't know what happened to the other driver. I mean, I, I hope that they were okay, but uh, from the little bits that I remember of it, uh, I mean, I just remember it just pouring and us like being outside, like, getting soaked to my dad, like laying down. But uh, 
that was what happened with that. And so it took him a while to be able to actually get to the point to where he could be mobile again. And so, you know, honestly, I'm just happy that we were alive. But, um, yeah, it was really never the same after that. And he couldn't really run well. I mean, part of that could have been, you know, Tim just getting older, too, and then putting on weight. But uh, just kind of seeing that, it just reminded me of that whenever uh, this happened because I know eventually if I do uh, get blessed enough to have kids, I just wanted to make sure that I did everything that I could to make it to where I could give them that full experience that they want. And not have anything like this, you know, limit me when it's as simple as me just doing the exercises, doing the rehab, uh, whatever else. So, can I share something with you about kids? Sure. Yeah, it's one of the things that I, I I've really noticed with my son, and it's kids are amazing. They all they want is your time. They just adore spending time with their mums and their dads. The love is absolutely unconditional. I didn't realise how much they watched us and how much they, they absorbed what we did until Oscar interviewed me. And the questions he asked were just phenomenal. I sat down and he, I said, write down as many questions as you want to ask and ask me anything you like. The amount of observation that he had was brilliant. The reason I'm sharing this is the most precious gift you have to give to your kid, no matter what happens in life, is your time and your smile. They want to be praised for really bad artwork. <laughs> you know, they, they, just, they just want you to have some effort with them and enjoy their time. You know, just hold that because at the moment, you know, we're going through COVID where I'm in Melbourne, we've been locked down for 230 odd days or something. And at the moment, there's dads everywhere spending time with their kids and it is beautiful to see. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, I doubt it'll be anytime soon, but. Uh, when the time comes, I'll definitely make sure to keep what you said in mind. Don't worry, I'll remind you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, but just going back to your dad, like with the accident, because what was he doing for a job? Uh, honestly, I don't remember what he was doing at the time. He's um, He's had an interesting work career. So I just know throughout the course of my whole life, he's had multiple jobs, but most of them were like on the, the labor side, like he did a lot of uh, construction work, concrete work. Uh, he also was like an independent contractor with FEMA for some time. But uh, he even did substitute teaching for a little bit. But yeah, he's, he's done like a lot of uh, different types of jobs. And, you know, that's for, you know, it's definitely for a reason, you know, why you got to that point to where they had to be multiple. But most of the stuff I would say was like labor type jobs. So having, having your knee smashed apart would severely hinder your ability to make an income, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I don't know how stuff was at that time because, you know, like I said, I was, I was so young when that happened. But I know, like, later down the road, like in middle school, uh, high school, you know, like around that age, whenever he was doing these same types of uh, jobs, it was definitely pretty tough for him. 
you know, health wise, because I mean, you got, you have to think about it. If you have, if your knee got smashed up and you're out there lifting heavy stuff, you're pouring, helping pour concrete and all that and brushing it down. It can be pretty tough whenever your job depends on like having good physical health and you're not in good health, you know, structurally anyway. So, you know, that was definitely a challenge for him, you know, especially when it came to doing stuff like off the clock, like at home. Uh, you know, I can, I definitely can't blame them for the most part with that. Like probably not wanting to get up and uh, do different things going outside and all that when you've been working hard. So. Mm. And that's, and that's, it's interesting, right? Because you think about it, how many years ago was that roughly 20 years ago? Uh, so I'm, I'm 23. So that was probably like 18 years ago when okay. he, when we got in the wreck. That's interesting because like 18 years ago, mental health wasn't a subject yet. And we didn't really look into this, the side effects of injuries and, and what happens. But in reality, your old man, your old man, your father, old man in Australia, <laughs> you know, that's your, your father lost his ability to bring in income. You know, he lost his ability to be a man in, in society's eyes because that's what a man did. A man went out and worked and provided for his family. A man went out and, like you imagine these days, if somebody did the same accident, they'd have a better medical opportunity, but they'd also have a psychologist come and see them and check out how they are mentally and have a, have a mental health plan to get through that period of life too. Because as a father, to, like I could think of, one of my greatest joys is, you know, running around with my son, kicking the football and doing those bits and pieces. So to have that taken away from you, that would be painful. I can imagine, you know, to a degree that it was probably a very unpleasant experience, of course, physically, because you're in pain. I know from, from the time I got my injury and until like actually getting the surgery and then in the days after really for, a good bit of that first month that I had the injury, you know, I was constantly feeling some sort of pain. And so it, it definitely kind of put me in like a, a dark place after a certain point, especially since I couldn't really travel either because even though I'm left-handed, since it was my right arm, I couldn't really shift or anything in the car. And so most of the time I was just catching Uber or uh, getting rides, but it was pretty tough. I would say uh, being dependent on other people to a degree like especially with stuff at home too because with only one good arm the other one pretty much being useless uh, there's not much that you can you can do besides like very very basic stuff like I couldn't even I would just when I was taking showers and all that since I couldn't use that arm I just have to go without like scrubbing like part of my body like over here because I couldn't reach over there and and get it. And so I definitely wasn't going to ask anybody to come and help me with that, but like folding laundry and, uh, cleaning up. Yeah. That was definitely helpful. And putting the like fitted sheet on my bed, but yeah, just having to ask, you know, it was something I, I didn't like. No girlfriend at the moment. No, not at the moment. I had some, I guess some women from church that like came and helped and my mom came and helped and did some stuff too. But, uh, at the moment I would say, the situation with women is like a little bit complicated. So, but like nothing like serious, I would, I would say. To explain complicated, that sounds interesting. 
like complicated is in like, you know, you want certain results, but the thing is to get certain results, you have to like be able to complete certain actions to put certain, put focus in certain areas. And the thing is uh, you can't expect people to conform to your plan or whatever it is, or, you know, to, to see value in it. If you're not somewhat trying to meet them halfway, especially in the like beginning, like when you're going on dates and things like that. And so, I mean, it's, I guess it's part of the, part of the game. You know, if you're only doing podcast stuff and work and working on yourself, you can't really expect somebody to be okay with you putting most of your time into stuff that's important to you and not considering them. Very much so. And that's, that's a big part because, you know, to have a relationship, it takes effort. Yeah. To sustain a relationship takes even more, more effort. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, and I wouldn't say it's my, uh, my strong suit either. It's something I've definitely tried to work on, but, uh, for multiple reasons, it's, it's an area where I'm definitely underdeveloped, I would say, but, you know, I'm consciously taking actions to, to work on that. So. It's also it may not necessarily be the most important thing in life in the minute. Yeah. You, you could definitely say that. I mean, if it, if I were maybe like up in age a little bit, like if I were late twenties, early thirties, it's definitely something I would be stressing over more. I mean, of course, any young guy would like to have like more women around in their life. But the thing is uh, with the stuff that I'm trying to do right now, it's not the biggest deal. I guess you can say if things aren't going the way that I want them to. Look, and I think your opportunities in the moment, you're choosing growth. You're choosing to be the best version of you so that when the time comes that a relationship does present itself, you've done the work. You know, I'm 44 and I'm still doing the work, you know. So it's a it's, lifelong it's thing, huh? 100%, right? You're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. Yeah. You know, which yeah, is awesome. This is part of that growth too, I guess you could say. Uh, having these type of conversations, I know from what we talked about uh, when we did our interview, you mentioned how a lot of uh, what went into you talking to your father and everything and uh, coming to peace with that helped you in your relationships going forward because you didn't have that same cloud or those hangups uh, holding you back from, I guess, being fully authentic or like fully loving the people around you. And so, you know, it's a process that, as you can see, I'm trying to work on too. And I'm so grateful that you reached out to do that. You know, like it took me best part of over 20 years to be able to work on that. You know, there's, it's funny. I, yesterday I just went back to where I grew up. Um, I just I had to go and drop a trailer off and I took the longer route to come back with, with my son. And I just showed him the house in which I grew up in. And it was, it was an interesting experience, you know, like I, I wouldn't say I've had a bad life. I say I've, I've actually had a very blessed life, to be honest. You know, like I've, I've had amazing people in my life at all stages. Just some things have just been a bit more awkward than others. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, you know. And 
it's so important for you to heal your heart for you. Otherwise, you walk around with that pain and it does get put on other people. You know, that, that, that uncertainty, that... to fear, if anything, you know, like it's... I like to think these days that I'm full of heart, love and care. But it all had to start with me and acceptance of who I am and just be as authentic as I possibly can at all times. You know? So if, if it's all right with you, Kamani, I would actually like to talk now with you <clears throat> about what's going on because I'm so grateful that you reached out to me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad that you were willing to, I guess, kind of walk through this tough part of the process with me and help me out. But to, to recap, I guess, for the people that would be listening to this, the reason why I reached out to Scott again is because, uh, well, actually, one of you reached out to me and let me know that it that uh, the content, while it was um, helping you, I wasn't necessarily being fully authentic and forthcoming uh, when it came and especially wasn't applying the stuff myself in a way, you know, at least that's how I was presented to me because a lot of the people that were coming onto the show, like, like you, Scott, uh, you were authentic. You were telling your story, you were open and you're willing to be vulnerable. But the thing about it is that throughout the whole process of me doing the podcast, you know, throughout episodes so far, even though I've told bits and pieces of my story and alluded to different things, I was never truly vulnerable and authentic in telling the full story. And so people have come on the show and been more authentic than the actual host himself. And the thing is, it's kind of hard to have credibility and to really try and help people if the same thing you're trying to teach them to do, you can't do yourself. And so that's why I felt the need to reach out to you, Scott, and talk to you today. Because the thing that I haven't told people about in full is, is my life. Uh, the things that have led to me getting to where I am today, what led to me developing my quirks, strengths, weaknesses, and then also the biggest part, which is uh, the strained or I guess non-existent relationship that, that I have with my dad. And so that's why I wanted to reach out today to clear the air on that and to be completely forthcoming so I can offer the most help to those people that respect me enough to listen to what I have to say. I really respect you for that. <clears throat> I don't want you to question it because it takes time to talk about the real things in your life that hurt. I'm really proud of you for doing the podcast and learning more about life so that you can be the best version of you. So you've got to this point now where you feel like it's important for you to own you. Where would you like to start? Uh, that's, that's a tough question. Yeah, it's 
kind of like do I just tell like my whole life story, the whole chronology of it? Like, absolutely. Whew. Man. Okay. Well, the way things started off, of course, I'll kind of talk about the relationship between my mother and my father uh, and how they met and how, how things transpired to where, you know, I came into existence. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird story, actually. Uh, so I, if, if I'm correct, when my parents had me, my dad was uh, like in his late 20s, I think like 27 or, uh, or 28. And my mom was uh, like 20 or 21. And so he met her whenever she was, I think, like a freshman in college or something like that. So he was he was much older. And I guess you would say the thing about it that I guess besides the age gap, that was um something that I guess was a red flag from the beginning was uh also the fact that according to my mom at least he had tried to talk to her sister before and then ended up talking to her and throughout the whole process you know with just him being an older man and like being out of school and everything I feel like in a way it was kind of set up for failure from the beginning because I feel like they were attracted to each other for the wrong reasons and you know, had motives that weren't going to work well long-term, and especially when you bring a kid into the world. The thing about it is that the reason why he liked her was just because she was attractive. And the reason why she liked him was because he was an older man and he had money. He was doing well for himself. Uh, I don't know exactly what he used to do back then, but I know like from the pictures that he would show me, like he was driving Porsches and all that he had really nice expensive clothes shoes and everything so that was probably one of the things that made it to where he was attracted to her and throughout the process something that's kind of been i guess hard for me to understand was why my grandparents didn't step in and i know that this is kind of painting him in a, in a bad light from the beginning. But the thing is, I'm really just trying to be as objective as, as possible. And the thing is, I don't really think excuses can be made about some of the things, but it really just seemed like it was a, a boost to his ego to have like an, an attractive woman around him. Uh, and people didn't you know know her age. I guess she looked older than, than what she really was, but it got to the point to where whenever they have like different areas where they would have turmoil and break up. He was very controlling and wanted to dictate everything that she did with her life. And so whenever she would date other guys and everything, he would be coming to her, to her school and, you know, coming to see her and all that, just being very possessive. And so it got to a point to where, and I can't speak on it because of course I wasn't there, but it's just interesting when you can have a, terrible rocky relationship like this to somebody and uh you can both be breaking up and having all this stuff going on but then you get that person pregnant and so it just 
the whole thing really just didn't sit right with me. Bottom line is that for at least from what I was told for like a good portion of like my younger childhood, he wasn't around. And so from there, I mean, eventually they got back together, but it's been on and off for pretty much my whole life. And so until they eventually finally got married, but they ended up getting divorced not too long after. But uh, yeah, this is, this is really tough to kind of tell because I don't really know how to, I've never told the full story before. And so it's kind of hard to figure out how to, how to structure it and how to uh, really tell the story and show like how this affects my development, but I'll try my best. Yeah. Well, look, this, and I really appreciate that because we're going to, we're going to go through that and then we're going to open up some stuff. Okay. Okay. So okay. just, and, and feel free to say no to anything. Feel free to say that that's, that's not okay. Are you okay if I write some stuff down so that when you're talking, I actually take notes for me to remember so that that I come back to that later so I can stay focused on you? Is that okay? Yeah, that's, that's fine. Perfect. Thank you. So, look, growing up as a kid, you know, what are your first memories? The, uh, I guess the earliest memories I have that I think back on it are us living in an apartment. And that was at a time when my mom and my father were separated. And so it was me, my mom and my second sister, well, I guess at, for only sister at, at the time, she's only four years behind me. So around that time she would have had to have been maybe uh so if, if i'm you know like six or something like that she's like two a toddler that's like really some of the most recent i mean some of the most uh early stuff that i remember so we had this apartment that we lived in and i remember seeing a lot of him during that time when we were when we were there really i start to have like memories of uh of his presence and everything once i started to get a little bit older once I started to like get further into, uh, into elementary school. So maybe like, uh, I would say third grade, third, fourth, maybe fifth, fifth grade, something like that. But before then I'm pretty sure that we were just living alone. And so I don't know what the financial piece of that was, you know, how, how things were financially. I was, I was so young, but, uh, he wasn't around much around that time it seemed. And so he didn't really come around until it seemed like he really didn't come around that much more until trying to make sure I have my, my timeline correct. As good as you can. Don't, hmm. don't, don't threat. You're, you're a kid. Don't have to be precise. Okay. Okay. And so Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So he started to come back around, uh, whenever we eventually moved out to Houston. And so that was when I was in the second grade. And so it was, it was a tough transition because we weren't in my hometown anymore. My grandparents weren't around. Uh, we were making completely new friends and, and connections and everything. And I remember the first school I went to, it was, it was pretty tough because 
since I hadn't gone to school with those kids. And I think it was like sometime in the middle of the year when I transferred, uh, it was really tough to make friends. But I remember around that time is when he started to, I guess, come around again. And we were starting to see him. He was coming up there to come visit us. And then lo and behold, uh, he got my mom pregnant again. And that was with the third child. And so they still aren't married at this point. But it kind of, I guess you can say it was kind of like this constant thing where whenever things would be rocky with them or whenever there was some sort of um, split or they were separating, all of a sudden uh, she's pregnant and there is another kid. And I have my, my speculations about it, you know, for why things work that way. But, you know, since that's not something I know for a fact or, of course, was wise enough to be able to actually pinpoint and notice, I'm not I'm not going to speak on that in depth. But, uh, you know, it was, it was just interesting to me. But, of course, when she got pregnant the third time, then we ended up moving back home to Beaumont, which which is my hometown in Texas. And. From there, that's when, like, a lot of the. Uh, like the, the worst memories came around from what I remember. And you know, just during the whole time that they were together from, from then on and off all the way until I think it was my junior, senior year of high school when they got divorced, it was just like a lot of stress and, uh, and turmoil arguments, that sort of thing. And so Yeah, it was it was not fun. You know, uh, a lot of the times at the house, they would be you know, arguing and yelling at each other so loudly that you know we would try and like go outside or like go in one of our rooms to to escape from it because it was stressing us. But uh, we lived in like such a small house, we lived in like this little two bedroom townhouse that I mean, you could pretty much hear everything. And so just kind of having that environment. Uh, for kids, you know, especially for when you have two younger siblings too, it just wasn't pleasant. And then financially things weren't going well uh, around that time either, if I remember correctly, like for elementary school. And uh, the interesting thing about it was that I don't even think it was because of uh, like a lack of opportunity or anything like that. I think it was just because it, they weren't the opportunities that that he wanted. And so to kind of give you like insights on at least the way that I view him, I feel like with his personality type and everything that he's the type of person that's very driven by appearances, what people will say and think and the status that can come from what you do. And it seemed like it was more important, like he would rather not work at all and just have my mom be the the main person bringing in income or like do other little small jobs here and there. He'd rather do that than work something that was, that was humbling. It seemed like, and so it led to us having a lot of financial struggles sometimes. And then also he's very stubborn guy too. And so, especially during the times whenever uh, he would get in arguments with my mom and they weren't getting along and he want her to leave the house, uh, which happened often he would just stop working and stop supporting us financially. So that way, eventually it would get too expensive for her to have to pay for everything. And she would just pack us up and leave and bring us to uh, like our grandparents' house or, or something like that. And so that happened, that happened numerous times, actually. Uh, one of the times actually he, he was willing to let the, 
the electricity cut off in the house uh, because obviously we weren't going to stay there if there was no electricity. And we had to move in with my grandfather. That was um, either my freshman, I think that was my freshman or sophomore year of high school when that happened. And then the funny thing about it was that whenever this type of stuff came up after the fact and you mentioned it to him, like, why would you let that happen and, you know, kick, kick mom out the house? And and he pretty much said, I didn't kick her out. She could have still stayed and you guys didn't have to leave either. You still, it was kind of like a gaslighting sort of thing where of course he wasn't going to physically enforce something like that, but by him doing it in that way, especially with naive kids, he can make the excuse that he didn't do anything. And a lot of those times when stuff like that would happen and he put her in a hard spot, he would frame the the situation in a way to where it made it seem like it was our fault for doing what we did or her fault for doing what, what she did, even though you can put a lot of pressure on somebody to uh, coerce them into, into making certain decisions. And so that was uh, that was something that I definitely had had issues with. And that happened a lot of times. And uh, it even got to the point to where, you know, he would, he would present himself in a certain way. It seemed where we almost thought that whenever something like that would happen, especially to, to her, I would say that we almost felt kind of like she deserved it. I remember this one time we uh, were going to the store and everything. We were packing up some stuff to go on a trip and walking. She was walking out of the store and I think they, I think he like started an argument with her while they were in the store and it was over something very trivial, but, uh, he, it was in hindsight, it kind of seemed like he was just doing it to like get something started. And then, so when that happened, we all get in the car and he just drives off and leaves her. And so he just left her in the, in the parking lot at the store. And we just start driving to go to wherever it was that we were trying to go. And the crazy thing is, he framed it in a way to where, you know, us as kids thought, well, hey, you know, if she hadn't been arguing with them or anything like that, then it wouldn't have happened to her. That, that's her fault. It kind of it kind of was like that, like victim blaming, I guess you can say. And back then, of course, I didn't know what like being a narcissist or like a, a sociopath was or I didn't know what gaslighting was or anything like that. But of course, now I can definitely see how that was taking place and how that led to a lot of the uh, the turmoil that we had going on in our home. And the thing was, she just didn't have the, uh, what is it, the wherewithal or the backbone or maybe the courage to move on and, and do things herself permanently. And part of that could have been from the, the negative talk that she was getting from him because he talked about her all the time, even, even in front of us. And, you know, it got to the point to where we even like, supported it and believed it you know he'd even tell us he said he said one time that whenever he came to our school and was talking to to like one of our teachers or like an administrator or something and then told the administrator uh who his uh who his wife was who our mom was he said the people at the school were surprised that that she could possibly be your mom and of course me at the time i'm not thinking about well how does it make you look since you married that person but that's kind of the way that he served our mom to us. And it got to the point to where even though we came from her, we thought that she didn't belong or as if she were 
holding us back in some sort of way. And, you know, he preached this uh, whole model of, of success and everything and how, you know, with his help and everything, we could change the, the cycles of the people that have been before us and the people around us. And we could go on to do great things. But part of him selling that vision was that your mom comes from that mediocrity and she's holding us, holding us back in a way, you know, where she's going to have us staying behind and not being able to progress towards our goals. That's kind of the, the uh, image that was cast over her. And so it kind of got to a point to where we didn't really have much patience for, uh, it's, it's your, it's your mom, but we would still not respect her and he wouldn't enforce anything. He, uh, he pretty much had just talked about her so poorly to where it was almost as if we were ashamed to like have her as a mom. He would compare her to uh to other moms, especially like when we were uh in elementary school and in, in high school for like I guess a small portion when I was in high school. But um he would pretty much like present in a way of look at how the other moms like conduct themselves and look at how they look, look at how they they talk and look at what they do. And look at your mom and he would pretty much kind of do that in a way to like downgrade her in our eyes. And it worked. And the thing is to a degree to stuff, some of the stuff was, was true, but uh, he would also frame it in a way that made a lot of it seem worse than it, than it really was. And he would also say some things to imply certain stuff that was worse, even though there was no proof of it, or it probably wasn't even the case. I mean, the thing about it is that, you know, the background that you come from is definitely going to shape, you know, the way you dress, the way you speak and, uh, you know, the way you think about things. But uh, there's I would say that there's no excuse to point those things out in a way that's like degrading someone that you're supposed to to care about, you know, especially when a lot of stuff is, is things that she can't help. I mean, if if other moms are like raised in like suburban environments or something like that, or like upper middle class environments, they're going to be, they're going to have a lot of different norms from somebody who went to school and lived around other people that were like, not from the best, not from the best background. If you're going to schools with people who are from the ghetto and everything that's going to influence the way that you dress, the way that you conduct yourself, the connections that you have, the people that you know, and that's not really something you could control, especially when you're coming up through school and all that. And that's where you grew up. And so that was the, uh, that was the thing about it. It got to the point to where we saw her as like a, a burden. And so I guess the, the next stage, and it would be kind of talking about how, or should I stop here? Do you have anything you like to add? Yeah, yeah. I'll get some questions I want to ask you. Okay. How does it make you feel that you put, put your mom out to be an outcast? Uh, uh, after the fact, it made me pretty angry. Uh, like once I matured and um, really, you know, even before recently, like freshman, sophomore year, whenever he, uh, I'll, I'll say, didn't take care of what he needed to and we are had to end up leaving the house. I definitely had a lot of resentment towards him like during that time. And uh, 
it was tough, you know, to kind of digest all that because I was living with my mom and you're taking notice of things that I guess kids shouldn't really be able to, to notice or see. Uh, you can kind of say ignorance is bliss with a lot of things because no one's perfect. But at the same time, I don't think someone should go out of their way to try and point out every single flaw that the other parent has. And so that was a that was an issue, too, whenever I was living with her. But. Um, but, yeah, I definitely had a lot of resentment towards them because it was like, how would how could you do that to your family? Have it to where uh, you're pretty much putting us in a tough spot to where we have to leave all because you you don't like her and you're willing to make us uncomfortable to get what you want. And it was crazy to me thinking back on it, how if she could be this, this terrible person, be so bad, be so ghetto or worthless or whatever it was, yet he kept bringing her around and he kept getting her pregnant. And at the time, I wasn't thinking about that, but as I got, got older and especially when I got in college, I kind of thought about that. It doesn't really make any sense. And you can say, once I started to realize that that's when gears started turning, but that's, I guess, later in the story, but that's how it made me feel. It made me pretty resentful that not only that he did that, but that it was able to warp my mind in a way to where I thought the stuff was justified and I participated in it with him. Are you okay if I give you some feedback? Sure. There were two people that clearly had an attraction. Sometimes the attractions can be painful. They kept coming back together. You don't make love to somebody that you don't want around you. Do you think the attraction was just physical? Or at least I'll say on, on one side, I think it was. Doesn't matter, it's still an attraction. You know, like we're, we're, we're in an environment at the moment that you know, we're starting to understand physical. You know, like we've, we've got to a point in life where physical uh, connection we know and understand, and we're now starting to learn about emotional connection. Some things we just do because we just we think it's right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because the way I look at it, I never did see any examples from his end of like showing like true love and, and intimacy towards her. And so it's hard for me to, to believe that the reason why he kept her around was for anything other than ego and to like have control and then for sex too. Because I mean, the thing about it is that yeah, they rarely went on dates, you know, especially for like the, the later part of their marriage for, I mean, as short as it was, but uh, he talked about her to her face and in front of us all the time. I, I never did see him show, show her the type of respect or like love or care that you would expect somebody to show their wife. 
Uh, that's the thing. And of course, you know, relaying that to myself, since I'm, I guess I'm supposed to be talking about myself, is that I didn't realize how much of a crippling thing that could be until, you know, I went out in the world and started failing at this stuff, you know, like not really knowing how to, uh, how to communicate in like a, a good way with women. And, and I guess you could say, um, not knowing how to, or really just thinking that expressing any of those types of emotions was unnecessary or like that you shouldn't do it just because I never saw him do it. Uh, in a way you could say that since I had seen him just objectify her and, and treat her like, like trash pretty much the whole time and just, you know, see her as like a, a tool, like somebody that serves a function and not a, a life partner, because that's pretty much how it was. And he would have sex with her and everything and he'd get her to cook and clean up. But other than that, she wasn't pivotal in, in anything else. He didn't have her helping us with homework. He didn't have her helping us with sports or anything, everything else besides like the house stuff. He did that all himself. So it was kind of like an, an accessory, I guess you can say. And I ended up seeing women the same way where like, you know, like later years, like in, in high school and then, you know, especially like in, in college too, that was kind of the attitude that, that I took whenever it came to like talking to women, meeting them and going on dates and all that. I didn't see it as, oh, this person could potentially be like a, a life partner or somebody, you know, somebody that's an actual person, somebody that deserves respect and has their own interests and hobbies. It's, it was just like, oh, yeah, I can, let me see if I can talk to her and have sex with her. Let me see if I can keep her around and she can do stuff like that for me. That was kind of the way that I, you know, subconsciously was kind of groomed to, to look at women. Okay. That's, this is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. Believe it or not. That's all you knew at that time. Yeah. So that's all you could do. Perhaps maybe just maybe, and I'm not making excuses for your father at all, but perhaps maybe that's all he knows. Perhaps maybe that's how he's grown up and he hasn't had anyone around him to teach him any different. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because the whole dynamic with his parents was completely different from, I guess, the dynamic he created in our house. And so it was kind of the opposite where his father, my grandfather, I mean, who I also haven't, haven't talked to in a while. Well, pretty much since like around the time I haven't talked to him, but uh, he was actually more on like the, the passive side. Like he, he paid bills and everything. He went to work Well, he's one of those like old school kind of guys where that's what he felt like his role was. And that was really all he did. He just worked. All he, all he did was just work. He was like a, a workaholic. He owned his own uh, concrete pouring business. And so that's all he did. And for what my dad told me about him, he wasn't really, he didn't really play a pivotal role in his, uh, in his life and his growth and his development. It was really his mom. His, uh, so my grandmother, she's a very, uh, she's a very headstrong, very intelligent, uh, driven woman. And she, but the thing is, a lot of those negative personality traits that I always say he has, 
he got them from her because it can get to a point to where, um, you know, somebody could think so highly of themselves. It's to the detriment of other people. And you can see how someone might get to that point to where they kind of take on this persona, especially when they're achieving in, in a lot of things. But I mean, overall, it can be to their detriment and to the detriment of other people. Like she grew up very poor. Uh, her parents didn't have a, a good relationship or now I think about it. Her father died, I think. And then her stepdad, she didn't like uh, the relationship that they had, if I'm correct. And she came from uh, a background that was not ideal. And she went on to be, I think, the only person in her family or one of the only ones at the time to go get not only a bachelor's degree from college, but a master's. She was the brains behind the concrete business. Uh, she uh, my grandpa would just go out and do the work. She was the one that did all the calls, did all the, the bookkeeping and all that, if I'm correct. And so she was a very accomplished woman, especially for someone coming from that, uh, that generation where the role of women back then, you know, was seen as just being like, you know, a caretaker, somebody that was at the house. And so she was very, um, she was very accomplished. And before she had my, uh, my aunt, so the oldest of them my dad was the middle child she was actually on pace to like make money like as a singer to potentially be famous with that because she, she was very talented with that but getting pregnant kind of derailed that but when you have these different things in your life where you've been highly successful the first person or you're getting all this recognition it makes you feel a certain way about yourself and she kind of passed that attitude to him where it was almost as if they felt like they were, you could say, the main character and everybody else is just like a support character to what they had going on, what their mission was. Like they were the, they, they even even both of them have said it. I guess he got it from her that they, they call themselves the, the best thing since sliced bread. And I mean, it's like an old people saying, I guess I'm, I'm thinking like, what does sliced bread have to do with anything? I'm guessing that was some amazing innovation when it happened, but that's the way I interpreted it. But I mean, to say that you have to feel a certain way about yourself and that's how they treated people. It was kind of like sociopathic where they would do what was in their best interest. And if they could do something that also happened to benefit somebody else and benefit themselves, yeah, they would do it because they could get that recognition and that person owes them. But if they had to choose between doing the right thing, which could, I guess, be to their detriment, you know, or do what helps them, they would do what helped them. And then they find a way to justify it or tell you why uh, it was the right thing. So I guess to, to go back to what you said, uh, when you say that's all that he knows, it's, it's just kind of tough for me to, to give that excuse to him because the thing is he saw um, a woman that was independent in pretty much every way that you could be and was pretty much the glue of that family, the one that made those decisions that you would expect of, of the man, like everything, like everything that you would think would be like that someone, I guess with his mindset, would, he would think a woman would be lacking. She stepped up and was, and was able to do that. She had the capacity to do those things, even though some of the personality traits and the ways that she went about things weren't positive. And so that's why I would say, I think the attitude he took of women really just came from his own negative experiences of women coming through middle school and, and high school, not getting the respect he wanted and really not getting a lot of 
female attention until he started working out, making the money, getting all the cars and all that and reading the books, too, because, you know, he's he's read the books like uh, like the Robert Greene books, like 48 Laws of Power, that that type of stuff where it teaches you how to, like, manipulate people and that sort of thing. So I think it was like a, a power trip sort of thing, you know, to boost himself up, because I think to treat somebody like that, you have to not feel good about yourself. Yeah, basically, you know, people who want control and need control are generally those that don't have it. So are you okay if I ask you a question right now that could be painful? Sure. Okay. Is your pain from the way that you disrespected your mum more than the pain from what your dad did? I would say that the majority of my pain, well, honestly, like now, I wouldn't say that I'm in pain like I was before. It's something that I've kind of been able to move on from to a, to a degree. I'm not going to say that I've moved on from it 100%. I still think about the stuff sometimes. But uh, the thing that had caused me the, the most pain, like whenever uh, you know I came to all these realizations and everything was really seeing how it affected me and my development going through this type of uh this type of upbringing how it affected my confidence and how it made me lack in different areas as a young man as i started to get more into personal development and see where i was really you know having these lapses but really the biggest thing that hurt me for the longest was really two things one not getting that respect or not getting that value that you expect to get from like your your father and your sister and the reason why i say sister is because the middle child she she lives with him uh, whenever we i guess had the thing to where we stopped talking she took his side and went with him and so i haven't spoken to either of them since and you know just the stuff some of the stuff that transpired during that process was just very disrespectful some of the things that were were said to me and so it kind of created like this burning rage inside me, I guess you could say to be disrespected like that by people that are supposed to, you know, see value in you. Just some of the things that people can say or do or not do to make you feel, you know, just this small. So that was part of it because there, there were people that I genuinely cared about. And so to be treated like that hurt a lot. And uh, I would say the other thing was just how poorly I felt about how my youngest sister, the one I have a relationship with her and she lives with my mom, how she was treated in the process and how I was a, a pawn in that. And so to give some background on that, uh, during my sophomore year of college, this is around like winter break, they, they had to go to court, my mom and my dad again, because they were fighting for custody of my youngest sister. So me and the middle sister, we were already old enough to choose where we wanted to live anyway. And so, of course, we had already picked to live with my dad. I was 18 whenever they got divorced, so it didn't even make a difference. And plus, I was going off to college. But the youngest one at the time, she wasn't old enough to uh, make a decision. And she automatically went with my mom. And so when she got, I guess, of age, I think it was like 12 years old or something like that, when, when it's like the age and you can pick, they ended up for some reason going to court about it again. I don't know why. It could have been like a child support dispute too. Uh, I know she had issues with with him and that, but that I guess is not 
necessarily relevant to the story. But um, anyway. Sorry, it's not relevant. Go, I think it will be. Go. Okay. Uh, do you want me to say it now or? Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the issues that she had with them throughout like the whole process, you know, from us growing up all the way until, until then was issues with child support, getting him to pay for and, and support the kids that weren't living in his house. And so when we weren't living with him, she had issues getting him to, to pay her money. And so it seemed like an ego thing where he just didn't want to have to have somebody win or get over on him. And so I remember this one distinct story that she, that she told me where um, when I was very young, I think this is back when I was the only kid, uh, he came to court and to try and avoid paying child support for me, uh, because I think at the time she said he wasn't coming to see me or anything like that, wasn't supporting, uh, to try and get some sympathy from the judge, he came in there with like some clothes, like looking like like a street person, like somebody that's, that was run down and like, didn't have anything going for him. Like somebody that you see, like walking the street or like, you know, riding on your bike, like in the hood, like these beat up shoes and this faded shirt, these pants with, with holes in them and all that. And so you have to think at this time, he's driving Porsches. He's wearing designer clothes, uh, wearing designer watches, has Rolexes and all that. And he comes to court wearing this as if he's going to fool the judge. And the judge pretty much got pissed off about it. And I don't know what he enforced or whatever, but of course he made, he made him pay. And it was some amount that was, I guess, supposed to be close to the right amount. And so he wasn't happy about that. And, <laughs> and she even says that after that judge ended up dying, this is like, I think during a time when they were together, he laughed about it, like in, in front of her saying that the guy deserved it or something, I guess, cause he held him accountable. But yeah, uh, there were plenty of times where, whenever we had those splits and we would be with her that he didn't want to pay or he didn't want to pay the amount that he, he should have paid. Like even right now, if I don't know how it came up, but you're going to court again because, uh, you know, apparently he hadn't been paying anything at all. And so, uh, he's got back pay or whatever it is apparently. And so the crazy thing is, even though he hasn't talked to my youngest sister, even though he hadn't talked to her for like over two years, all of a sudden he's trying to get like custody of her, of her now. It's not to pay child support. So, you know, there are plenty of uh, examples of how he's tried to avoid it or find ways. And I guess it's just cause he don't have to pay her money, but uh, that, that was the thing. And uh, to go on the thing about my sister though. So that was my sophomore year of college. And pretty much what happened is that, they went, they went to court, uh, they shared details and everything. And my sister decided that she wanted to live with my mom, not him, because really throughout the whole process of them going back and forth, like with visitation with the youngest one, he just wasn't giving her the respect that you would expect somebody to give their daughter. Like he had her dressing like, uh, she was he pretty much, you know, had her in clothes looking like she was like an adopted child or something like a foster kid. Like she was never really dressed well. Uh, he he was so like particular about making sure that that um, he didn't have to you know support my mom in any way, helping her that clothes that he would buy. I mean, which weren't nice clothes. He would make sure to keep them at his house and make her like 
take them off and like um, wear like a nightgown or whatever it was. And he would send her back home after his visitation like that. And then when she would send her to him for his visitation time with decent looking, nice clothes, he would take those clothes and keep them and pretend that he bought them and then send her back with, you know, like the raggedy stuff to go back to my mom. And so, and then I know a lot of times when we would like, when they would go on trips, of course I was in school, so I wasn't going on trips and things with them, but, uh, they would intentionally plan the trips on like the weekends or the days that the youngest wouldn't be there. So that way they could brag to her about how much fun they had and pretty much tell her, Hey, well, if you decided to live with dad full time, then you wouldn't have to worry about missing out on these trips and all that. You wouldn't have to worry about these clothes that you don't like to wear. And he even took it as far as like hurting her with her grades. Like if she received an assignment on my mom's uh, time, when she came to him, he just wouldn't help her with it. He'd say, Hey, you got that. Whenever you're with your mom, she needs to help you finish that. And then the assignments that he would get on his time, he would of course do them. And then he would track her grades during the, on the like parent portal during like the times when she wasn't around and he would laugh and brag about it saying, look at her making B's and C's on, on these assignments, like that she got when she was with, with your mom. But over here, all the assignments that she got were A's and it was just, beyond crazy to me that like someone was willing to prove a point that much to where they're willing to sacrifice the well-being of their kid their grades like still to this day she struggles with math because when my mom was paying for tutoring for her to go to he wouldn't take her to the tutoring on his time because of course he didn't want something that she was paying for or doing to to look good and so whenever that stuff would happen uh it just it just really kind of opened my eyes more, more and more to kind of like, you know, how, how unfairly she had been treated. But the thing that was the worst was, uh, the thing that was the worst was, uh, whenever she told the judge that she wanted to live with my mom, he told us that we needed to cut her off completely and never speak to her again. And I didn't agree with it. And so I still talked to her for, for the rest of that year. And that I think about it all the way, like, for the rest of my sophomore year, if I'm correct. And we would still have FaceTime calls and all that. But the thing is, he would know that I was still talking to her. And so he pretty much gave me an ultimatum at one point because the stuff that was said in court, I didn't get to hear it. But the way he told us it went was that they uh, pretty much made up a whole bunch of lies about him, made him seem like a terrible like criminal and that he was doing like abusive things to, to her. So pretty much like lying because he never did beat her, abuse her or anything. I mean, verbally, he said some things that weren't nice to her at all, but he never did anything like that. But I wouldn't have known the difference because I didn't get to sit in there in court and hear it. And so we pretty much had to take his word for it. He said, these people are trying to sabotage us and you're trying to get your dad locked up in jail. And your mom could be manipulating the situation to where, uh, she can be taking stuff back from your sister to gain information to make things believable and possibly uh, get your father in trouble or maybe even you and ruin your future. And so he said, I'm not going to let you put the people, put us, you know, the people that are trying to do the right thing at risk. He said, if you want to keep talking to her, move over there. And then we just won't be able to talk to you either. And so I guess being in that tough spot and 
of course, thinking that same stuff before, thinking that my success was dependent on him. Because at the time, a lot of stuff that I had done, you know, was like with his his guidance, like getting my Eagle Scout, uh, you know, the process of making sure I was set academically during my freshman year to be able to continue and, and thrive. I thought that I needed all his help and everything or else I was just going to be a loser. Kind of like that, what he had been saying all along from the time that we had been in, in middle school, pretty much that, you know, our, our mom was a loser. We were going to end up being like her. And so I'm ashamed to admit it, but it got to the point to where we just, I, had, I stopped talking to her. And after the fact, whenever I started to really like see the light and come to different conclusions on my own, I actually learned to think for myself because that was something I never really did before. I would just ask him everything. I never did actually try and figure anything out on my own because you see him as this like smart person that knows it all. And you think that his advice is needed and you don't trust your own judgment just based on the gaslighting and, you know, the way he made me feel about myself kind of touching on that. I had no confidence at all. I had like no type of uh, self-respect or anything like that. And part of that was from a lot of criticism I got from him. And then also just the fact that there are a lot of times where you would, you would want your kid to be in a position to where they can make mistakes and grow. But in those instances, he would always step in and make sure that he was the buffer. So that way there was always this dependency. And even in college, like whenever, uh, whenever I got like my sales job the summer before I went off to school and was making good money with it before I was making the money, he, he was trying to convince me to quit. And so that way it's saying that I wouldn't be able to do well at it without him and that it wasn't my strong suit. And he would say things like, how, how are you, how you expect to, you know, be good at this and that when you can't even, when you can't even like do well in these social environments and that sort of thing. He says, do you really think you can be good at sales? And just pretty much kind of talking to me in that way to where it made me think that I needed to do things his way. Cause he didn't want me to even go to college. Well, like a, a like a public university in, in the first place, he wanted me to go the military route. And that just wasn't really something that I wanted to do. And so eventually when the sales stuff worked and I was making a good bit of money with it and paying for my school, then he kind of tried to take credit or like kind of slide in and like find ways to say that that success was contributed, uh, you know, from, from him, that if it hadn't been for him, uh, I wouldn't have gotten there. And, you know, when my confidence was so low, you know, to a degree, I believed it. But of course, when you go off to school, it gets to the points where you have to make stuff happen yourself. And so I, at the end of the day, I was one that was making the grades. I was the one that was getting the internship opportunities and all that. And so I, start, I started to see, you know, you're really not that bad. You know, you're actually, you're actually like, you know, decently smart. You're making some stuff happen for yourself. You're like, you're putting in work. And so it started not to, that facade, I guess you could say, wasn't really working anymore. And like our, the dynamic in our relationship kind of changed or the respect and everything. Cause I started thinking back on that sort of stuff. And one of the ways that he, kind of tried to reinforce that dependency. And I didn't realize it at the time was uh, at the, uh, at the time I was driving this little beat up 2010 Nissan Versa. And uh, it's not a good looking car at all. It looks like a, a toaster on wheels, but uh, he said, you know, something that I think would be really good for you, boost your confidence and all that is if you got a brand new car and I remember thinking I can't afford to get a, a brand new car, the down payment, the car note and all that, plus the insurance, because I've gotten in multiple wrecks. 
uh, I'm a terrible driver. I was just thinking that's, <laughs> that's probably not the, the best idea. But no, he was insistent about it. And I'd never seen him like be that insistent about me spending some money until then. And not, you know, you don't, you think the best of like your, your dad or your parents, you think they're going to always try and do it to your best interest. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it would help my confidence if I had a, a new car and all that. Maybe I would carry myself better if I have a new car. And so I remember one day he just uh, called me and said, Hey, I just bought your car. I just picked it up. And so I said, Oh, oh really? I was, I was shocked. And so I said, whose name is it? He said, it's in, it's in my name. So that way, in case you miss any payments or anything, it won't damage your, uh, your credit or whatever. I had no credit at the time, but, uh, I mean, it sounded noble, but in hindsight, the thing about it was that with it being in his name, it meant that I had to, it was his car essentially. And other than me paying it, and I guess building his credit, I had to do what he wanted with the car. And so when it came to, you know, running errands, all types of other stuff, whatever else, and even, you know, stuff that I would do up at school, I, I couldn't do everything I completely wanted to do. It wasn't really my car. And so it got to a point to where, um, so that junior year that I went into with the car, it was so expensive, like with the, the, the down payment that I helped to put down on it and everything. And plus it was like 400 plus dollars a month for the car note. And then like, I think it was 80 for insurance that it was just getting too expensive for me to have while I was in school. And so I was dropped. He said, what you need to do is just do the same thing I do. Cause at that time he had started driving Uber and Lyft. And so he said, just after class every day, just go uh, drive Uber and Lyft. And it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me because you could think about it this way. Imagine you want to buy a house. You get your dream house or whatever it is. But the only way that you can afford to have your house, which is supposed to be yours, is if you Airbnb all your guest rooms pretty much every single night. You almost kind of have to ask yourself, is it worth it to even have it if I can't actually afford it, if I'm actually using what I bought to afford what I bought? And that makes absolutely no sense. I was using the car on top of my like the job that I already had and everything to afford having the car. And so it essentially got to the point to where I was doing it all throughout that junior year and then into the summer when I was interning like with the company that I work with now. And so I would get off, I would go to work at seven, get off at four or five. And immediately from there, I would go and just drive Uber and Lyft for hours and hours and get home at like maybe 10, 11 o'clock. And I had no life. And so it was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And so something that was a big turning point in uh, our relationship was when I guess you say I had the balls to just say, you know what, I don't even want the car anymore. And so I gave it back to him. And I guess that wasn't something that he was expecting because uh, after that, he pretty much tried to make things as hard as possible. Like whenever, uh, whenever like I needed him to pick me up to bring me like back to school, whenever the summer ended, because I didn't ask him for anything for the whole summer. Uh, whenever I didn't have the car anymore, I just made it work on my own. And I was you know, not having a huge expense. So I just was able to kind of save my internship money finally. But um, whenever it came time for me to drive back up to school, I needed to be there a certain time to check in. He made sure to show up late enough to where I couldn't get there in time to check in, had to wait until the next day. So pretty much just had my stuff up there in town and had to put it in like a friend's room and wait until the next day 
to, to check into the dorm. And then other things like during breaks, kind of same thing would take his time, kind of trying to prove a point. I guess he was hoping it gets to the point to where I would say, okay, you're right. I don't like this. I'm going to go back to getting the car. But the thing mm-hmm. was, it was such a financial burden. And I feel like my quality of life, even without a car, was so much better not having that expense and not having to, you know, run on four or five hours of sleep a night. It was worth it really just for him to be a, an a-hole th- those few times that I actually needed to ask him for something. But the, uh, the time that I really knew that uh, he was really trying to prove a point to me and that it wasn't and that he wasn't necessarily looking out for what was in my best interest is when he agreed to pick me up uh, whenever I was coming back from a a ski trip with my friends during winter break. So he agreed to pick me up and everything. So me thinking that this is going to be my ride, we're on this like, what is it, like 15-hour ride back to Texas uh, from this ski trip. I'm sleeping and everything. And then eventually he contacts me and says, actually, and this is way too late at this point. They're like maybe like two, three hours left of our drive. He says, actually, no, I'm not going to pick you up. He said, you need to figure out how to, how to get home on your own since you want to make adult decisions like that, since you want to be an adult. And so it was, it was intentional to make things hard on me. And so my sister, the middle one at the time, it was, it was three of us living together. I, I called her and asked her to uh, come pick me up. And I told her I'd pay her. And so anyway, he saw her gearing up eventually to, to come get me. And he said, where are you going? And pretty much tells her, no, you can't go pick him up. And so I was pretty much stranded in Houston, like away from home. And I had to figure out how to get a ride. And so eventually, like a mentor, someone that I've been in contact with, uh, picked me up and let me spend the night at his house. And then from there, I caught the bus uh, back home the next day uh, to get home. But something like that, especially, that was really something that kind of let me know that something wasn't right. And that's when I really started to get an eye for the different things. And just seeing how, you know, at that time, whenever it went back to school, I got the the full-time job offer and everything. And it didn't seem like he was as happy as I I thought he would be. Uh, It seemed like he was kind of pushing me to take these opportunities that he was trying to come up with instead of taking the ones that I got on my own, I guess, so you could say that that, uh, he was the reason why I got them. And I remember him saying a lot of things like when we have our drives, like, you know, you wouldn't be here and there if it weren't for me. If I hadn't helped you with this years back, it's something that really had nothing to do with like my current uh, standing or anything like that. But uh, just stuff like that. And uh, I don't know how I got on that, but that was, yeah, that was when I kind of started connecting the dots when stuff like that was happening. Okay. So we're back now. Yeah, brilliant. All right. I'm taking a big breath at the moment because, you know, we just had a quick break, quick water break, and um, we come back. And, and the thing I'm seeing so much is the control and the lack of responsibility that has been a part of your father's life. Yeah. And I would say that's accurate. If you wanted to sum up his life story, if there are going to be a title to the book, it would be that. Okay. I really want to thank you for sharing all of that. But I see some absolute gold 
inside everything I've just heard. I'm curious. Yeah. What do you do for a job? I'm a financial analyst. Okay. What are you working on outside of work? So other than the podcast, I'm currently taking a course to uh, do financial coaching. I wanted to add that under the, the business because improvement is an, is an LLC now. And so I figured that that would be a good way to offer value to my target demographic on the podcast. And also it could potentially be like a stream of income that could maybe be full time, you know, depending on how, how things go. And if I'm offering enough value to people, if that, that's something that they would trust me with. Okay. You're taking your time with relationships. The things you care about most seem to be the most painful things in your life that you're working so hard to improve. Yeah, you could you could say that. Uh, that was the crazy thing about it. And uh I guess it's a, I guess it's a good thing, but all the pain that I felt from those experiences and I guess more that I haven't touched on yet throughout my life, I had a choice. I could either allow those things to lead to me not having the most productive life that I could have. I could choose to still remain hurt by those things and have them limit me for the rest of my life. And then, you know, I'll be holding resentment, of course, because especially if I was aware enough to realize that these were issues that came from my childhood because I would blame them all on him. But the thing is, by doing the podcast and all that and doing my personal development, this is something that just really resonates with me because it's helping me to not make the same mistakes that the men in my life made and to not inflict that same pain that they did on other people. But also it helps me to be able to, to heal and, and cope with it. And so I guess the thing about the podcast is that if I can use all those negative experiences that I had in my life to teach somebody else how to avoid those same things, or if they're dealing with it, how to get through it, because it's been a process for me to even get to this point to be able to go through it. I feel like that's valuable in itself because I know the young me from middle school to high school, even, even college would have you know loved to have somebody that cared enough to diagnose these things, not only, you know, to, to point them out and to actually, you know, help me talk through some of this stuff. So I wouldn't have had to go through the, the hard knocks of figuring it out myself. Mm, that's a really interesting thing because, you know, like what would life be like if we didn't have the emotional pain of other people put on us? What would, what freedom would we have in our thought? But on the same on the same token, without that pain in your life, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You wouldn't yeah. be caring as much as you're caring. You wouldn't be growing as much as you're growing. It so is the true. The opportunity is how do we process the pain? Yeah, that is, that is true. One one thing I'll say about it to to add to that is that you know, of course, I wouldn't I wouldn't change. The stuff that, that I've gone through, but I think something that definitely could have helped is if I had a different mindset 
during the time that I was going through some of these things, because part of it is that like really the lapses that I had from those experiences I had in my life, of course, they didn't just affect me. And I'm not happy with the fact that you know, the negative way that I may have framed things or a negative outlook, I may have looked at life in those different aspects from the experiences that I had ended up hurting other people in the process, like, like my sister, uh, the youngest one, like my mom, like, uh, her family, you know, my, my grandma and grandpa that had to deal with that on her side. And also I would say the women that I disrespected. Yeah. And I'll also say even like the, the, just how crappy of a friend I was to a lot of people, just because I was so insecure in my own emotions and, and shortcomings that I projected that on other people and treated them poorly and didn't give them what they would want from a, from a friend as far as like support or, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually going to let you go there. I'm not actually going to let you say that because I know for a fact that every single person makes a decision to make the right decision. Nobody ever makes a decision to make a wrong decision. You were doing what you were doing what you knew how to do. And only because you did do that and it did hurt, are you actually taking the opportunity and responsibility to change that? You're taking responsibility. You're taking responsibility for you. There's nobody else that you can take responsibility for because it's up to them to do that. You're now becoming the lighthouse for your other family members to see by taking responsibility for your actions and taking on the personal development path, which is the hardest one. It's the scary one. When you've got to own your part. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, that, uh, that you pointed that out. So I'm going to ask you something over the next week when you've got some time. I want you to sit down and write down, rewatch this. As you're watching it, I want you to write down the lessons you've learned and the things you do differently because of those scenarios you went through. Because okay. I can is so much gold in what you've just just shared with me and because you've chosen the personal development part taking responsibility all personal development is is taking responsibility for your actions learning how to improve you and your decision making so that you can take more responsibility so that you can get more out of life I'm so proud of you for that. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to see this. Thank you, Kimani. Thank you. Oh. So next week, I can't wait to hear the lessons. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll see you next week. Then. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And to, to your listeners, 
sitting here in front of you as a man brave enough to put his heart out here, brave enough to take responsibility for what he's doing by questioning the decisions the people around him have made so that he can be a better man. How can you take responsibility for you?